This podcast is a production of Schweitzer, a United Methodist Church, transforming lives by making disciples of Jesus Christ. So we were singing uh, that song, Our God Reigns. I was thinking about uh, growing up in uh, this really godly little country church where people really love God, but one of the things I think we were missing was, uh, you know, I was really never taught to do any expressions of worship, uh, except in vacation Bible school. Uh, but other than that, you know, it, it, it just wasn't so, something that we did. And, and I think that's so unfortunate that, um, you know, as I read the Psalms and I've grown in my faith, I've had to come into this understanding that you express yourself. Uh, that might be uh, with a, a shout or a loud voice or uh, with some type of gestures. You know, when I'm at a card game playing, I'm not necessarily quiet. And when I'm at a ball game, Susan says, well, I even shout at the television. Uh, why is it in worship that we, uh, we haven't learned to put our, our body and our emotions into that? Communicators tell us that about only 7% of communication has to do with the actual content, what's actually said. 7%, just the words. Maybe 25% or so has to do with the tone of voice or the fluctuation, which means about two-thirds of communication has to do with our body language. So how do we put our body into it? How do we put our mind and our spirit, our emotions into it? So I love this series on expressing worship. And last week, we talked about ridiculous worship. We saw two ridiculous scenes in Scripture of a King David throwing off his robes and dancing before the Lord with all his might in his underwear, and a woman who burst forth into this religious, sterile, cold house and washes and kisses the feet of Jesus before everybody. I mean, you can't get more ridiculous than that. And today, we're, we're kind of looking at the opposite side of the coin. So it's really important that when we're feeling it, we express it, we let it go. But what do you do when you don't feel it? What do you, what do you, what do, you do when you're just feeling distant from God, when you feel empty from God, when you're not living in a time of light but of darkness? What do you do with that? You know, um, I wish someone would have told me this 40 years ago. Maybe they did, but I wasn't able to hear it, and that probably was true. I wish someone had told me 40 years ago that, you know what, uh, when you're going through a, a time where you don't feel connected to God, it may be just something that is part of the process. Doesn't mean you did something bad. Doesn't mean that you've sinned. Doesn't mean that something's wrong with your spiritual life. Could be, but not necessarily. I wish someone would have said that to me. I wish someone would have told me that there's some great people who've impacted God in amazing ways that have felt this distance from God and they were able to express it. C.S. Lewis is one of those great prolific Christian writers of the 20th century and he's written some of the most favorite books that, I, that I've ever read. The Chronicles of Narnia, Narnia and uh, Mere Christianity come to mind. But when his wife died, 
after a very brief marriage. C.S. Lewis let God have it. And he wrote sometimes under a pseudo name because he didn't want to destroy the faith of people who wouldn't understand. But when he writes a grief observed or shadow lands, Lewis is expressing what's, what's in his heart. Mother Teresa of Calcutta, the great saint who sent, spent her life ministering in the slums to the poor and the dying, who radiated this light before others. In the journal, in her personal journal that was written not for publication, not for anyone else to read, but unfortunately, they did it anyway. But in the midst of all her service, she's expressing many times her doubt. And she writes some things like, for the last five decades of my life, I have not felt close to God. That's just staggering stuff. What, what do you do with that? So uh, what, what, what I'm saying today is, you know, don't fake it, but don't stop. The old saying goes, if you're going through hell, don't sit down, but keep moving. I mean, don't separate yourself from others. Don't separate yourself from God, but find ways of expressing your true self and what's really going on in your life. Uh, so I want to look at some scriptures with you today. We're going to look at some ways in which we do this, how we grow and keep moving in our faith in the times when worship is hard. Let's look at the story of Job. Now, in Job, you have this fascinating story in the Old Testament. And to me, this is one of the most intriguing books in all the Bible. How many of you heard about the patience of Job? Well, don't believe it. Uh, if anyone talks about the patience of Job, they've never really read Job. Because it takes Job only the third chapter till he gets impatient. <laughs> but he does suffer through. And what we're going to look at today is a scripture from the first chapter of Job. Now you need to know that Job is God's poster child of a righteous person. Job has made sacrifices not just for himself but for his whole family. And God is mighty proud of, of Job. And so whether you take this story literally or whether you see it as a parable, like Jesus tells the parable of Good Samaritan, we can learn from this intriguing dialogue uh, that goes on between God and Satan. Let's look at these words together. One day the heavenly beings came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? And Satan answered the Lord from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. Then Satan answered the Lord, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not put a fence around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But you stretch out your hand now and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. Then the Lord said to Satan, oh, very well. All that he has is in your power. Only do not stretch out your hand against him. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. And one day when his sons and his daughters were eating and drinking wine in the elder brother's house, 
A messenger came to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys were feeding beside them. And the sapiens fell on them and carried them off and killed the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another came and said, the fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. And I alone have escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, another came and said, the Chaldeans formed three columns, made a raid on the camels, carried them off and killed the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, another came and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And suddenly a great wind came across the desert, struck the four corners of the house, and it fell on the young people, and they are dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Then Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, and fell on the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrongdoing. Now, Job's theology may not be the best, because he says, The Lord giveth, and the Lord taketh away. But when you read the story, it's not the Lord that does this. But it's the evil one. Unfortunately, we preachers and many other people just quote Bible all the time out of context and misrepresent what's being said here. And to me, this is one of the most fascinating parodies of a theology you could ever begin to read. But one thing is clear. The people in Job's day think often in the same way that many people in our day think. That if you live a righteous life, if you do good stuff, good results happen. And if bad things happen to you, God must be punishing you for something. That's the theology, the understanding of the people of Job's day. It's what oftentimes we think, even reasoning-wise, we know better. It's hard sometimes emotionally not to feel like something's against us, God's against us, when bad things happen to us. And so the story of Job is a 42-chapter book on getting all the thoughts out there and how God shows up in the end, squares things up. But it gives us the permission. It gives us the dialogue on expressing ourselves our true feelings and our thoughts before God. John Powell has this very amazing observation when he says that the most destructive thing that we can do to those passing through periods of crises is to attempt to downplay these legitimate doubts and encourage their repression. Repressed doubts have a way, have a high rate of resurrection and doubts that are plowed under will only grow new roots. And so it's important that, that when you're going through it, you, you get it out there and you express it and you learn from it and you learn about yourself and you learn about God and you go deeper, even when it means you're talking at God at times or maybe yelling at God. 
The Chinese use a combination of characters to, for the word crises. And the two characters mean danger and opportunities. Danger and opportunities. So when you're going through a crisis, when you're going through the struggle, there's a danger. There's an element of danger in it. What's going to happen? But there's also the opportunity to, to go deeper and to learn and to grow. And I think one of the biggest dangers is that when we have problems and we're going through dark times, one of the biggest dangers is to put up this facade, to put our Christian face on, if you will, the exterior, or just to run away from the community of, of faith and not being able to bring our doubts and our true feelings with our brothers and sisters before God. And the amazing thing about the scriptures, the amazing thing about the Psalms is that they're prayers and they're songs that teach us to be gut honest before God and to express the dark things. You know, I wish I was an artist um, in the sense that I could paint portraits that express the moods sometimes that's going on in my mind. I'm envious of people who can take sketches and, and portray what I'm thinking. So I can't do that. But what I can do is I can look at these words. I can look at these psalms. I can use these words that were written for the community of faith centuries ago to bring before God all the emotions and all the thoughts that we don't always like to admit. So what I want to do with you right now is I want to invite you to stand with me. And we're going to look together responsively at Psalm 42. And we don't know who wrote this psalm. But we know that something is really tough going on in this person's life. And I'm going to read the small print. You're going to read the bold print. And as we move through this together, I want you to think and to be aware of the emotions and the thoughts of what's going on in the psalmness in this writer's life and how that he's so honest about it, okay? So as the deer longs for flowing streams, so longs my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and behold the face of God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me continually, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I went with the throng and led them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of thanksgiving, a multitude keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, whom again I shall praise, my help and my God. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the thunder of your cataracts, all your waves and your billows have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night God's song is within me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I mourn because of the oppression of the enemy? Like a deadly wound in my body, my adversaries taunt me. 
They say to me continually, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, whom again I shall praise, my help and my God. You can have a seat. So you notice that the psalmist, he keeps asking the question, where are you, God? But he also asks the question, why are you disquieted within yourself? He talks to himself. He talks back to himself. He talks to God. He lays it out there. The emotions and the thoughts are out on paper where you and God can deal with it. That's one of the ways that you can express yourself when you're going through a dark time. Get the words out. Get the drawing out. Paint the picture and listen for the Spirit. Do you know what uh, God's major complaint in the Bible is about people? Anybody want to guess what God is, complains about more than anything else in the Bible about his people? I would not have come up with this, and obviously you're not wanting to play. My people complain about me. His complaint is, my people do not listen to me. There's something like 1,500 different times in Scripture where God says that. So, in working through a time when worship is hard, yeah, get the feelings out, get the thoughts out, but listen to me. Listen for my voice. Pay attention to me. Experience my steadfast love. So, communication's a two-way street. God can't get real with us until we're real with God. And God can't get real if we're putting on our facade and our false self and our private or public worship. But, but when we are real, then we can listen and the most important person that we lean on is Jesus. I love the writer of Hebrews when he says these words, we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. Now that's a double negative. Double negative means positive, right? So he's saying we have a high priest. We have this go between us and God who can empathize. He was a human being. But we have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without, without sin. He did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And I love the way the words don't use me or I. It uses we and us. Friends, one of the most important things we can do is when we don't feel like worship, that we come to worship. That, that we, we don't separate ourselves from the community. When I don't feel like singing the songs, that's when I need to sing them the most. But when I cannot pray, that's when I need other people to pray with me and for me but we don't want to separate ourselves from the community of faith 
when we're feeling weak or when we've messed up or where we just are going through a dry and hard time, that's when we need each other the most. And we want to be a community that can be honest about that. I want to invite you to look at this brief video with me that emphasizes that important truth. It was a lot of struggle. I got in the way. I didn't want to be opened up to anybody else. When I don't have God in the forefront of my mind all the time, that's when I tend to backslide a little bit. My passion is to lead people to the presence of Christ, a moment where we come together. The thing about this church is that everyone loves each other, and it's a genuine love, and it's inescapable. For us to really be the body of Christ, um, we got to do this together. We have to be willing to be with each other in, in all kinds of times. Are, are you someone that's willing to be with people as you really are? Do you, are you part of a class or a group or do you have some relationships that are organic that, that, that you're real with and you can share and express your faith with and your doubts and your struggles? Do you have that in your life? Man, I don't know how you do it without others, sisters and brothers, friends that are there with you and for you. And what we believe to our core at Schweitzer is that the church is both a place where we come together and we're there with each other. Not just in worship, but in deeper relationships. We are there with each other but we're also out there for others who don't know Jesus and are hurting and wounded. And they need the tenderness and the sensitivity and the gentleness from us in a harsh and hard world. So we want to be the church that's with each other, but also for others. And, you know, the cool thing is that many times the world comes stepping onto this campus. And we get to minister to people that come to us. I want to tell you a story that really dramatizes this. We have a lot of people that pray in the prayer pantry. And so when someone comes for food, they also are, if they're open to it, they, they can receive prayer. And a few weeks ago, there was a four-year-old girl who came in with her grandmother... And she walked up to one of our praying people, and she said, Hey, I know you. You're the, you're the prayer lady. And the prayer lady did not remember her. Oh, I'm the prayer lady. Yeah. She said, You let me touch the fountain. And so in the prayer room, there in the outreach center, there is the fountain, the prayer fountain. And she wanted, this girl wanted to know if I could, if she could touch the fountain. And uh, so she was permitted to. And, but she was referring to the time in January where her mother and her grandmother had come to receive food. And after food, they all walked into the prayer room to receive prayer. And the prayer lady said, I had to put aside my judgmentalness 
because not only did the mother have a lot of tattoos and piercings that I had to look through, which shouldn't be a problem, but oftentimes is with people of my generation. She said the woman had such a gruff, angry spirit. She said the first thing that happened was I just knew God was saying to me, this is the prayer, prayer, the prayer lady, put aside your judgment. Put aside your judgment. And then in the midst of this, somehow the woman with the piercings and the angry look, she said, I'm an ugly person. She felt ugly inside. And so often it is that people have a countenance about them exterior-wise because life's been hard and harsh and they despise themselves. And the woman went on to say how that she and, the, and her mother, the grandmother, had been in an argument and a fight. And, and in the midst of all this confession, all the prayer lady says is, I think you need to cut yourself some slack. And that led to a amazing sense of communion and prayer. And that's what it means to be the church. That's what it means to be there with each other when we don't feel like worshiping. We don't want to separate ourselves from one another. The problem is um, being a seasoned church person uh, we, we sometimes forget that. And one of the best gifts that I can give you is my own vulnerability. Because it takes a lot of courage to be vulnerable. And it takes a lot of grace to receive help. Kind of takes care of the pride issue. But when these things begin to happen, when things are hard, God, God moves and God does things. I want to close out by sharing with you a couple of Hebrew words. One of the words is Barak. Would you uh, say that word with me? Barak. Now, the Catholics, the Anglicans, the Episcopalians, they got something over us. They have kneeling benches. I get that. I'm kneeling on a carpet. You don't have a carpet. Well, you do have a carpet. So if you want to get down and kneel, you're welcome to do that. If you're at the 11 o'clock worship, enjoy the concrete. But whether you can kneel or not, you bow in your heart and in your spirit of adoration. It says that Job knelt and worshiped God. There's another Hebrew word I want to teach you. Say this word with me. Tada. 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 It means to extend the hand in adoration and acceptance. It's, it's extending the hand when life is hard. In Psalm 42, that there's a phrase there where tada is used in the original language. Tada, to extend the hand in adoration. To thank God for what is not yet received. To me, uh, this is one of the most powerful expressions of worship. When I cannot pray myself in words, 
the one thing that I do religiously, that is, this is something I do almost every day of my life, in my prayer time, I come to that point where I just put my hands out, extending them to God. And oftentimes when I do this, there, there, there are no words. You don't have to say words. I feel oftentimes electricity and the Spirit moving into my fingers and my hands. And sometimes I don't, but I've learned that even when I don't feel it, I believe that God is giving me what I need that day. And so, friends, if you cannot do anything else when you're struggling in worship and you can't think of any words, you can always extend the hands to God. As the band comes, I, wanna, I want us to spend a couple of minutes just worshiping God right now. And I would invite you to extend the hands just like this in a silent time of prayer and worship and adoration, especially believing God is giving you what you need.